What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Push the Tempo podcast, the last episode of the um, right of the NBA season. Uh, as the Milwaukee Bucks closed out the Phoenix Suns in six games on the back of one of the all-time great closeout games that I think we that you know it's safe to say we've ever seen. Um, so if you didn't know, the Milwaukee Bucks won Game Six, one hundred five to ninety-eight, in a game that Giannis Antetokounmpo went for fifty points. 14 rebounds, five blocks, and the the most and that stat line is obviously very impressive. Uh, one of the most impressive things, however, is he shot 17 of 19 from the free throw line. Uh, Chris Paul did really all he could, but you know, really everybody else for the Suns struggled. You know, DeAndre Ayton had a rough game. Uh, Devin Booker struggled. So let me let me just stop going on and let me just hand it right over to you. What about this series really stood out to you? from the Bucks perspective? Um, honestly, it was that all the players that were on the Bucks, aside from Giannis, you know, they really stepped up in big moments. Um, we talked about it the last podcast where it was really about like Chris Middleton just trading buckets with Devin Booker. And that's going to be doing a lot, especially when the Suns are trying to come back into the game. Really, aside from Devin Booker, no one could really score as efficiently one-on-one. And it seemed like the Suns really were going to that one-on-one action a lot. So... It was just Middleton being like having the Bucks being up a few points and Middleton being able to trade buckets and hit those clutch buckets. I thought that was huge. Of course, PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday were like defensive stalwarts. So the supporting cast of the Bucks really showed up. And I mean, it contributed huge to the Bucks success. So that was one thing that stood out to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so just going through the series in its entirety. Phoenix won game one and then they won game two. But to me, you know, even though Milwaukee lost game two and just a quick fact that this is the first time in NBA history that uh, multiple teams have come back from two o deficit from multiple o two deficits. Uh, the Clippers did it in rounds one and two and then the Bucks just did it in the Eastern Conference semifinals and now in the finals. But, you know, even after Milwaukee lost game two, they lost 118 to 108 and, you know, the game where Giannis had his first 40 point game of two of three 40 point games. Um, you know, even though they lost, I thought, you know, this isn't, this isn't a bad loss. You know, it obviously would have been nice for them to win, but you lost a game where your uh, second and third options, Chris Middleton struggled in that game and Drew Holiday really struggled in that game. He was missing like point blank layups, but you lose that game by 10 and you're, second and third best player shoot a combined 12 of, I believe, was it 37? Like, you know, you have something to build on from that game. And Milwaukee, they came back and responded in a big way. And I guess the Suns and four guy was right about something because the Suns did lose four straight games. So, but to me, what really stood out on Milwaukee's side in this series is after, after you know, game one where they didn't, really have an answer on defense for, um, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who were just lighting them up from the mid-range and drop. They changed up a lot of things, and they stopped playing at the drop more. They started playing more at the level, and they just played with so much more physicality that, you know, the Suns just, fright, quite frankly, regardless of what adjustments they tried to make, couldn't handle. Um, let me just give you some numbers, uh, and I'm going to actually have you guess on the second one. So Giannis Antetokounmpo attempted 63 shots 
at the rim in this season, in this series, I'm sorry. Do you want to take a guess how many of those that he made? I did honestly, if I had to be honest, I would say it's above 50 for sure. I just felt like he could not miss from in the paint. That's actually really close. He shot 53 of 63 at the rim in this series. So that's that's 84%. So they just they just had no answers for him. And once, you know, Middleton and Drew Holiday, it took them a little bit of Drew Holiday, especially some time to come around and start hitting the shots. But once he did, you know, I don't want to say Phoenix didn't stand a chance because, you know, outside of game. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. Outside of game three, um, every other game was close. But once, you know, Milwaukee's best players started hitting their shots, it, you know, it, it worked out for them, you know, and they didn't really have to worry. Um from Phoenix's side, you know, regardless of what adjustments they possibly could have made, uh, you know, they just didn't have the personnel. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, this is the first series that, you know, in the playoffs that he's played where he looked like a second year, the third year, I'm sorry. He looked like a third year player who was just outmatched. He, you know, he just could not defend Giannis Antetokounmpo in this series. Um, he didn't necessarily, and in game six, you know, I think we can agree that he was not good. But yeah, I just I don't I just chalked it up to him being very young and him having to play against one of the two best, you know, rim runners and you know paint players in the league. And Giannis, it's Giannis and Zion to me. Um, but yeah, this was just a series that the Suns just could not match the physicality that the Bucks played with, and it ended up costing them in the end. Yeah, and on top of that, they at the right moments they were just making the right plays and hitting the right shots. And I feel like this could be kind of considered a hot take, but I feel like if they were to play again, like new brand new game seven series, I feel like it could go either way still. Um, in in my opinion, just really came down to making shots and making the right adjustments in this series, at least. Um, and this is probably going to be another weird take, but I definitely think that Pat Connaughton had a, like a lot to do as kind of like the X factor. Um, throughout the entire series, he was just hitting those threes, especially when nothing would fall for e- uh, for either side. You know what I mean? Um, and on top of that, he like it's not like he was doing a huge, great job on like Devin Booker, but he did guard him up for a few uh, possessions and whatnot. You know what I mean? So I just feel like this series could have gone either way. I guess I guess that's my end take. Man, I just speaking of defense, um, I think it would be it would be a crime to not mention the, the job that Drew Holiday did in this series. Um, I believe it was a game, I think it was game five in Phoenix where the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, like big three of Holiday, Giannis, and uh, Middleton all had like great games at the same time that hadn't really happened in the playoffs much. But Holiday in that game had 27 and 13. And I think a case can be made that he was the best player on the court that night for Milwaukee. Um, what he did versus Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you know, Devin Booker had a great game, a great shooting game, but a lot of his scoring in that game was coming against like PJ Tucker. He was really lighting PJ Tucker up. And then they put Holiday on him and Devin Booker just could not score. Let me give you some stats. So for this series, uh, Drew Holiday defended Devin Booker for 27 minutes, 27 minutes, 26 seconds. Um, in that time, he held him to 11 of 31 and 2 of 12 from 3 and zero free throw attempts. So 
uh, Drew Holiday just had Devin Booker in a straight jacket. And even though, you know, it took him some time for his offensive game to come around, he had some rough shooting nights. When it mattered most on defense, he showed up and he really stepped up and did his thing. So he deserves a ton of credit for the defensive job he did. And yeah, um, you're definitely right. It just came down at the end to making shots. Like I mentioned, after game two, the Bucks probably could have felt really confident because their two of their three guys had really bad shooting performances and they barely lost. But let's talk about it from the Phoenix perspective. What, in your opinion, really cost the Suns in, in this series? I feel like they kind of strayed away from um, <clears throat> what, like, their core competencies were. Like, they weren't really moving the ball so much. It felt like it was an ISO possession after ISO possession. And I, I hate to pick apart one player in particular, but um, I kind of saw, like, DeAndre Ayton was really lacking. You know, as as you mentioned, um, in this series, it was the first time probably in this entire playoff run that he didn't seem like – or he seemed like a scared second, third-year player. You know what I mean? Um, so there was a lot of times where he was making mistakes and um, not ma- making easy um, layups and things like that. And on top of that, he was getting out uh, outmatched for the rebounding and all that. So, like I said, I hate to pick apart one player, but I think those were probably the two biggest impacts for the Suns losing the series. That's definitely a great point. I, I definitely agree that, you know, Suns kind of strayed away from what made them really great, and uh, not even in the regular season, but also in the playoffs, is the ball movement. And a lot of times it deteriorated into ISO play. Uh, you you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. I'm going to mention Chris Paul. And Chris Paul had a pretty good game six. You know, I think he was the best player on the floor for the Phoenix Suns in that game. But outside of game one and game two, you can look at the box score in game five and say, you know what, Chris Paul played a pretty solid game. He didn't. He, he was good for the fourth quarter when they took Drew Holiday off of him and put him on Devin Booker. But for three quarters of that game, he did not look good. Um, to me, like this is my analysis on Chris Paul. And one of the main reasons why I think Phoenix fell short in this series is because at this stage of his career, when Chris Paul is so heavily reliant on mismatches to score, you know, um, when, whether it be attacking weak links on defense or attacking bigs and drop like he did in game one and in game six versus the Clippers, uh, it gets really tough because you need to have at least one guy to be absolutely scheme proof. Like for the Suns, it was Devin Booker who just who kind of struggled in game six, but had two really great games. And I believe game four and five, he had back to back 40. So he's scheme proof. Chris Paul is not scheme proof anymore at this stage of his career with him being 36 and so much of his offensive game being heavily relied, reliant on, mis, on exploiting mismatches. And you saw that once, you know, Bobby Portis and um, Giannis and Brooke Lopez started, you know, really moving their feet and trying to not give Chris Paul those mismatches, you saw, like, he, he really struggled. And can, before, before we move on, can we just give a huge shout-out to how well Bobby Portis played in this series? Like, he had... Uh, a game six that you know by most uh, around the league most fans will forget about how good he was but I feel like Milwaukee fans will never forget how good he was in the series I just want to get your thoughts real quick on that no I, I definitely agree I mean crazy eye Portis you feel me he he was going off you know and this is kind of irrelevant but did you see that one post where they asked him what his three favorite players were no I didn't what did he say 
All right, he said that his three favorite players were first Kevin Garnett, um, Zach Randolph, and then he's like, my most favorite player of all time is Rasheed Wallace. <laughs> it was just funny because all those guys are like school threats, you feel me? Um, but, you know, out of all those guys, I can kind of see his play style being developed from that just because the way he was able to stretch the floor, uh, make those shots. Honestly, like I mentioned before, I said Pat Connaughton was just hitting those crazy threes. I mean, Portis was doing the same thing from the corners, and and honestly, he just played the game right. Man, yeah. Um, Connaughton kind of struggled in game six, but your point on Bobby Portis, particularly in that game six, like he just hit shots when, when needed. You know, like in those closeout games, a lot of times your star players play best. They play, they play at their best. Um, and it really just comes down to your role players. And Bobby Portis was that guy for the Milwaukee Bucks, not just in the series, but also in the last series. And, you know, before, before we move on, I think it'd be, I think it'd be, you know, I think it'd be insane if we didn't talk about Giannis and what he did, not just in game six, but throughout the series. So I'll let, I'll let you start. What did you think about his play? Yeah, so one thing I'll say straight up is I got mad respect for him just because, you know, coming off the injury, but not even that. Personally, I thought the Suns were going to win because I did not think that Giannis would be able to pull it together, especially with this um, with this squad. Um, I just I just couldn't see them choking, you know what I mean? But uh, he, time and time again, he would just pull up, uh, he make shots, even when the, you know, the entire Suns uh, arena was against them shooting those free throws, he really just out of nowhere just improved his free throw shooting. And, you know, you can say it's kind of like a one-off or whatever, but in a crucial moment, he really stepped up. So got to give him big props for that. Um, he had a ton of energy, and I think that really had a huge impact. Um, I mean, yeah, some of the shots that he blocked were goal tens, but a lot of it was, you know, hustle plays where it was making the shots a lot more difficult for the Suns, while already the shots were already difficult to – you know, make like if you watch the game, you can see that most of the shots that the Suns were making off the ice were difficult contested shots. Giannis was a big part of that. So I think that not only on the offensive end, um, it was also the hustle plays, the defensive end and the rebounding. Offensive rebounding was just insane. It felt like if a player missed a shot, Giannis was there to get a putback or a pass out. So it was just a great overall display by Giannis. Yeah, for sure. I think the point that you made about offensive rebounding, I thought I saw it particularly, I believe it was game five, where I thought the Bucks were really getting after it on the glass, you know, just following up their misses. And that was a huge difference maker in that game. But what Giannis did in this series, and I'm going to talk about game game six in particular, was like just phenomenal. You know, uh, I don't want to ever hear about no bag or he can't doesn't have any moves because if he can have no moves and no bag and still get 40 plus in three of the six games and average 35 and 13 for the series, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. So, and in game six, and I'm not sure, and you don't hold me to this, but I think his game six 50 point game is tied for first, like the most points ever scored in a closeout game in the finals. And I think the last time it was done in nine was done was in 1958 by Bob Pettit. And what he did in that game, you know, not just offensively, but there was this one play defensively that I'm not sure when it happened. I think it might've been in the, in the second or third quarter, 
but he defended like three or four players on the same play and still ended up defending the shot attempt and getting it and running it down the floor and scoring. And like that to me just stood out because he didn't take a playoff on either side of the court. He came out, he came out there and left it like all on the court, you know, didn't, didn't, you know, rest on some plays or do whatever. And, you know, it ended up paying off with him having an all time great performance, not just in the series, but obviously game six and, you know, on his way to his first ever finals MVP. So, you know, huge credit to him. And this is the last thing I'm going to say on this is the Milwaukee Bucks deserve a ton of credit because the year, the two years prior to this season, they had a proven formula that they could roll out the ball and get 60 wins every single year. This year, they said, you know what? The last two years, we had something that worked, but we saw that it had its shortcomings in the playoffs uh, as they fell short of their ultimate goal in 2019 and 2020. This year, they said, you know what? We're going to experiment. We're going to play differently on offense, more pick and roll, less, you know, just Giannis five out. We're going to play different defensively rather than just let teams rain threes against us. Uh, In drop, we're going to switch more on defense. And you know what? Their offense took a hit in the regular season. Their defense took a hit in the regular season. But I'd have to check the numbers as well. But I'm pretty sure they were the best defensive team in the playoffs this year. And after game five, you know, in in the second round, they they looked done. You know, they choked that big lead in Brooklyn. They came back and won two straight. They lost Giannis against the Hawks, and they closed them out in two straight wins. Um, they went down 0-2 in this series, and they won four straight. So they showed a ton of resiliency. They showed a toughness that, you know, a lot of people questioned if they had, and they showed that they do have it. So a ton of credit goes to them. Mike Budenholzer gets a lot of shit from most NBA fans, but – you know, he made adjustments when it mattered. So credit to him as well. And yeah, that, that's all really I have to say on that. Yeah, uh, just kind of piggybacking of what you said. Um, you know, that resiliency that the Bucks showed really doesn't go um, go as mentioned as it should. I mean, their first round matchup was the Heat and that's the team that beat them the prior season. So coming into it, I remember seeing a post of Giannis saying some type of quote. And I remember thinking, yo, that's not really that, strong of a quote does he really want it but i mean i questioned him and you know we're we know the results what happened there they swept the heat and then after that they played um they played the nets which was probably the toughest matchup for pretty much anyone um they had a game where they were down like almost 50 points or something like that and they still ended up pulling through being down 0-2 and winning and then of course there's this series where they're also down um own to so I think the resiliency just really doesn't go um it just it's just people don't talk about it as much because it really was there you know what I mean 100% I 100% I totally like forgot to mention that they played Miami in the first round and a lot of people thought that you know maybe Miami could beat them but you know if you had watched Miami this year you would know that Miami was just a significantly worse team than they were last year um and outside of game one, they, they shut them out, you know, like games two to four were not close whatsoever. And, you know, you can, you can say, you know, Milwaukee got lucky that the, the, the Nets got hurt. Well, Phoenix, Phoenix got lucky as well, that they played every single round of the Western conference. They played a team that was missing either their best or their second best player. So, um, you know, injuries happen. You got to be lucky and you got to be good to win the championship the Milwaukee Bucks just proved that not only were they lucky, but they were also the better team in the finals. So they deserve a lot of credit for that. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, do you want to move on to the next segment that we have? Sure. Um, so let me let me just explain it real quick. What we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about three teams that disappointed that in our opinion were disappointing in the playoffs, and three teams that we were impressed by. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna run through them quick. We're gonna put a minute on our timers, and we're just gonna talk about each team and say why they were either impressive to us or disappointing. So did you want to start with impressive teams or disappointing teams? We'll start with the disappointing teams. You can start first though. Do you want to go three, two, one, or one, two, three? Like least disappointing to most or most disappointing to least? Uh, let's just do it from least to most. All right. Um, so uh, the we're going to start the clock at exactly at the moment that you say the team's name. So I'm going to start now. The team that I think is the third most disappointing team of the playoffs is the Philadelphia 76ers. And you could think that, you know, maybe they're the most disappointing team. They came into the playoffs with legit championship aspirations. But I'm going to disagree because, you know, there are things that we went into the playoffs knowing that Philly had these problems and they ended up, you know, showing their head. But there were things that we knew before the playoffs. We knew that Ben Simmons in the half court can be can be kind of, you know, marginalized on offense come playoff time. And we knew that Doc Rivers has uh, he has, you know, a problem of not making adjustments. We've seen that in the past with him. Uh, it just came down to Philly, you know, Ben Simmons becoming a liability on offense with the free throw shooting. And sure, they probably should have beaten the Atlanta Hawks. But the Atlanta Hawks were no joke. If you actually just look past, you know, Philly completely blowing games, you know, five, I believe it was four and five. But yeah, but the things that we knew about Philly, that they were not, you know, that the issues that they had, we knew about them moving forward, moving into the playoffs. And, you know, that to me is the reason why they're the third most disappointing and not the first. So I'll let you go. What, in your opinion, is the third most disappointing team in the playoffs to you? All right. So for me, man, that's tough because I was going to say the Sixers, but at the same time, I kind of have them tied with this other team. So in my opinion, it would be the Celtics. So as a Celtics fan, you know, it makes sense for me to be a little bit disappointed. Um, of course, they didn't come into the series with uh, Jalen Brown or whatnot. But at the same time, you're kind of ex- not only disappointed with the team's overall performance, um, but you're also disappointed with management. And I think, I don't know, we can't really speak too specifically on that. But I mean, when you come into a series where your best second best player is Marcus Smart, you're, you know that like it's just going to be overall disappointing. This is supposed to be the year, especially when, you know, you make moves, for example. Um, so this is kind of going back to the Bucks thing. I don't want to speak too much on it, but like the Bucks made a move to get Drew Holiday. They moved away from Bledsoe. The Celtics did the same thing with Kemba Walker, and it was just disappointing overall. So I don't want to speak more than over a minute. So that's just my personal opinion. That's fair. I think, I think the Celtics, you know, they have the injury excuse. Kemba missed a couple games. They didn't have Jalen Brown the entire series. But I can understand why you're saying that. So let me move on to my second most disappointing team. And this one might come as a surprise. But my second team is the Portland Trailblazers. And I'm not saying that because I thought that they'd make like a deep playoff run. I actually picked the Nuggets to beat them. But my reasoning is that they lost to a Nuggets team that is missing, basically, that's missing Jamal Murray. They're missing, um, they were missing P.J. Dozier. And they were missing missing Will Barton for, I think, either one or two games of the series or maybe more. And this is a team that you should have beaten, but you showed, you know, your flaws were just exposed and they were exposed badly. You know, 
CJ McCollum got outplayed by Monty Morris and Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers was out of the league for a while this year. And, you know, Damian Lillard really got no help from anybody. He had the series of his career. And now we're seeing it, man. Like Portland is in flux right now. We got, we see the whole Damian Lillard situation where he had to like address trade, uh, trade demand at Team USA camp. Um, yeah, I just think Portland, you know, they should have beaten the Nuggets and them not doing it is to me a huge disappointment. That's fair. Yeah, I can definitely see that makes sense. Um, my turn. Yeah, go for I it. I just cut you off. <laughs> no, right. no, you're good. Yeah, so my second most uh, disappointing team would be the Miami Heat. Um, coming back from a, you know, conference or not even a conference, a finals appearance, them not living up to expectations, losing to a team that they beat the season before in the playoffs. And on top of that, their two best players in Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler would just had pretty much the worst, uh, the worst playoffs pretty much out there for that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, Butler, we all know how much we hyped him up, but, you know, that was ex- a failed expectation, even though he's one of my favorite players. Adebayo really seemed passive at certain times. Uh, Tyler Hero basically disappeared, and, I mean, that's why he's given the nickname of Bubble Boy. And other than that, I mean, Kendrick um, Kendrick Nunn was probably the only surprise or the, I guess you can say, the only plus on this team. So it was pretty uh, overall disappointing playoff run for the heat that's definitely fair i think one thing that really stood out to me from miami heat's first round series is that the bucks were playing bam out of bio for the pass like bobby portis at times was like leaving space in between him and bam and daring bam to shoot um which you know was crazy to me because bam really expanded his he expanded his offensive game this year to include the jump shot but with that being said, let me move on to my most disappointing team of the playoffs. And this also might shock you, but I'm going to say the Utah Jazz. My reasoning is that, uh, you know, you came into the year, you came into the playoffs as the best team in the NBA record-wise, but it was kind of shown that, exposed that you are an extremely one-dimensional offensive team, where in game five, Utah, they shot, they made 17 threes in the first half, and they were only leading by five. So that kind of goes to show that outside of hitting three-pointers, that Utah was extremely one-dimensional on offense. Um, and they lost four straight games. The last two, they lost, and the Clippers didn't ha- even have Kawhi Leonard. And the one of the main reasons that I think that Utah is extremely disappointing, obviously not just that they lost four straight games. They got blown out in games three and four. Kawhi got hurt in game four. They lose game five at home. Game six, they blew a 25-point lead in less than a quarter's worth of play. So Utah, they got a lot of things to figure out. And, you know, uh, Gobert, I don't think he was that bad until game six. But Utah, they just showed that they were extremely one-dimensional and they didn't really have a lot of a lot of ways to win unless they were shooting a toward percentage from three. So that's my last team. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely agree to that, um, especially coming in as the number one seed. Um, having some pretty favorable matchups, especially with Kawhi being injured. I can definitely see that as being a disappointment. Um, for my number one most overall disappointing team, I would have to go with the Lakers. Um, it's not – well, it's, it's kind of a tough situation with Anthony Davis being hurt, but I still think that it's pretty disappointing that they got bounced in the first round, um, especially by the Suns team, even though, like we've mentioned before, they just played phenomenally well. 
Um, but it's just like if you look at the experience, like yeah, Chris Paul didn't even play a few of those games, but or did he play those games? I can't remember. But um, either way, he was was he hurt? He hurt he hurt his shoulder, and but I think I think he missed like one game, but I think he came back after that. Okay, so with Chris Paul being in the state that he is now, and you know LeBron being there as the other veteran, it just felt felt like a very young team beat a team that's supposed to get far. You know, any team that has LeBron James is has high expectations. So, in that certain situation, I can say that the Lakers it's a pretty disappointing playoff run for them. Um, I I don't think it's a disappointment because you know considering they lost Anthony Davis. And I think that they would have beaten Phoenix um, had they been fully healthy. One of the main reasons I think the Lakers ended up losing is that with Anthony Davis going out, they had to rely heavily on their role players to step up and fill that scoring void. And they just weren't able to do that. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was MIA the last couple games in that series. Kyle Kuzma really struggled. And the Lakers, they showed the problem that they had last year as well is that they were an elite defense but their offense just kind of lagged behind and they didn't, weren't really able to hit threes. So with that happening, the the Suns were able to, you know, play LeBron how the Raptors did in 2019 against Giannis. They were able to build a wall against him and just dare, dare um, you know, the Lakers role players to hit shots and they just didn't. So um, with that being said, did you want to move on to the most impressive teams? Yeah, so just quickly before we do that, um... I guess I'm looking at it in a different approach that you are. Um, I'm kind of looking at it like overall. So like when I mentioned um, like the Celtics was disappointing because their management didn't really get the right team going or um, I'm saying like the Lakers because of all the injuries that they had, you know what I mean? So is that not how we're doing it or? No, no, no. That, that's definitely a fair point. I mean, you can, you can interpret it any way you want. Um, but you know, the things that we talked about with the Lakers, like, especially at the start of the year, like we talked about their center rotation, you know, that Montrose Harrell, we, he showed that he can't play in the playoffs. Uh, um, they added Andre Drummond who, you know, if you're paying attention, Andre Drummond is not a good player, despite the gaudy stats that he puts up. Marcus Gasol was probably their best option come playoff time. And he had kind of a down year and not just that, but with Anthony Davis moving to the five, they would have to play Cal. They would heavily rely on Kuzma. And Kuzma is a good role player, but his offensive game has like severely regressed since he first came in the league. Um, they rely heavily on Markeith Morris, who hasn't really been good outside of like some fluky shooting in the bubble. But you definitely you definitely have some you make some good points. But I just me personally, I just think that injuries really, really cost them at the end. OK, OK, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, with that, you want to move on to the most impressive teams in the playoffs? Sure. So let's go from uh, the team, the third most impressive team to the most impressive. So my third most impressive is the the LA Clippers. Um, you know, they made the conference finals for the first time in their team's history. Uh, they they went down 0-2 to Dallas because Dallas Dallas's shooting in games one and two was unsustainable. The clip that they were shooting on contested threes. Uh, you know, their shooting came down to earth. Tim Hardaway Jr went from being Clay Thompson, he went back to being Tim Hardaway Jr. And they lost the next four out of five against to the Clippers. And but in the second second round is to me is where they were the most impressive. Or I shouldn't say that, but them being able to, you know, close out the um them being able to close out the the Jazz after losing Kawhi Leonard, winning two games straight, overcoming a 25 point deficit in game six, 
on the back of a huge Terrence Mann game. That was big to me. Them being able to take, you know, Phoenix to six games, down Serge Ibaka, down Kawhi Leonard, and then down Vita Zubats late in the series. That, to me, is extremely impressive. And until game six, where Phoenix blew, blew the Clippers out in game six, but until then, the Clippers actually, uh, you know, they had the advantage in terms of scoring throughout the this, this series. I believe it was like 503 to 500 or something that the Clippers were outscoring the Suns. So that tells you that every game that they they lost was extremely close. And the games that they won, which were two out of the first, two out of the first five, they won by more than 10, which if you look up the scores, is actually what it was. Um, the Clippers to me are the most, the second most, third most impressive team, sorry. Yeah, honestly, that was the same as me. I also had the Clippers as the third most impressive team. Um, you pretty much hit on every single cylinder, so I'm not going to say too much. I think that it was just showed a lot of resiliency getting to the Western Conference Finals for the first time, especially without their best player in Kauai. Uh, they showed a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of talent with Patrick Beverly's defense, which, you know, I'm a big fan of, and also Terrence Mann's development, and also Paul George breaking out of his playoff slump. So those were all things that they had to overcome as a team and as individuals. So I definitely thought that was impressive. Um, do you want to hop into the next one? Yeah, so my next team then, my second most impressive team of the playoffs is the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I picked them to beat the Knicks in the first round, but I thought it'd be a closer series, but them, you know, disposing of the Knicks in five, really showing that the Knicks, that while, they're, while, they're, while their defense was good, you know, their offense just wasn't enough to keep up with the Atlanta Hawks. And in the second round, in a series that really nobody picked them to win, they ended up beating the the heavily favored Philadelphia 76ers. And what's crazy to me is that in game seven, Trey Young didn't even play well. Uh, I shouldn't say he didn't play well because he hit some big shots at the end, but he kind of struggled in terms of shooting. But it was the other guys on the Hawks who stepped up, you know, um, Gallinari hit some big shots. Kevin Herter was really good in that game. John Collins, you know, he had an up and down series, but he showed up with 16 rebounds. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like that. I think that Philly, that the Atlanta Hawks only won because Philly fell apart, but you know, Philadelphia, um, the Atlanta Hawks are a really, really good team and they have some really solid players. And if you're a Hawks fan, like you have a lot of, you have a lot of promise to look forward to in the future that's funny because that was also my second one um I don't think anyone could have said that the Hawks were going to make the conference finals um not only that I personally had the Knicks beating them I thought that was going to be the Knicks defense was going to you know kind of prevail over the Hawks offense especially because you know how Trey Young has been playing in the regular season but in the playoffs he was completely different he was just taking over as well as some of the other players and of course that series against the Sixers was huge um and you can even make it an argument to a certain extent that in the conference finals, you know, they won two games. If Trey Young had um, not become injured, there's definitely a chance, especially with Giannis being hurt, that the Hawks could have actually made it to the finals. And I'm not going to push it too much because that's not what happened. But I think it was impressive enough that they could at least make that argument possible. Um, I feel like in the beginning of the season, you, or even somewhere in the middle of the season, you can see there was a huge gap of experience and also talent between these two teams. And then the Hawks just kind of showed how much promise that they have. Um, and on top of that, some of their players, their best players weren't even playing. Um, Cam Reddish came in later. DeAndre Hunter also was not a part of the series at all. 
So it kind of just goes to show how impressive that this team can really be. Um, and hopefully we can get a healthy Trey Young for next playoff run too. Yeah, I just, I just have one last thing to say on the Hawks real quick. Is that like what they – their season turnaround, um, you know, they started the season a little bit slow. There were a lot of questions about them. Lloyd Pierce ended up getting canned. And, you know, Nate McMillan, not only – obviously his team got healthy, but, you know, he really turned around this team and he had them play in a really fitting style of basketball for their for, – towards their strengths. Uh, Trey Young, like I, I was a little – I was a little iffy on him coming into the playoffs because, you know, the track record of small guards – against like great defenses is a little shaky, but against a great great Knicks defense, he played really well. He closed out the Philadelphia 76ers who were also a great defense. Ended up, you know, getting hurt versus the the Bucks, like you said. Maybe it could have been different had he been healthy. But, you know, um the the Hawks making it this far and them losing to the conference finals and nothing to scoff at. Like you mentioned, DeAndre Hunter got hurt and he was a big part of them big part of them not only this year but also moving forward you can hope he can he can stay healthy but the hawks to me were definitely very impressive yeah definitely um do you want to move into the most impressive team i feel like we're gonna have the same three but the to me it's the milwaukee bucks obviously them winning the championship is not the only reason but for like one of the main reasons that i highlighted earlier is that they could have come into this year and played the same exact style of basketball and won 60 games again but they decided to switch it up and experiment in the regular season. And it ended up paying off for them in the playoffs. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, the resiliency, they showed that they were they were for real by just stomping the heat. They went down 0-2 to um, the Brooklyn Nets. They came out and beat them in seven. Uh, they closed out the Hawks without Giannis. And then they went down 0-2 to Phoenix and they beat them four straight times. So I don't have too much to say on Milwaukee, but to me, they are the most impressive team in the playoffs. <laughs> Yep, that's fair. Honestly, man, I would put this as a two-way tie between the Bucks and the Suns. You pretty much met, uh, hit everything and met all the criteria for the Bucks. Um, not only were all the players there and all, even the coaching staff and everything like that, they all performed extremely well and had a ton of resiliency, but also the management. It's like I said before, it's hard to make that move, you know, like of them playing super well and already going close to the playoffs so many times. But making that trade to get Drew Holiday, that's huge. And just making that trade is something that's not easy to do. So that's a pretty impressive feat as well. I mean, that's that's something that we talked about. Um, and other than that, if we talk about it, the Suns, man. Honestly, I thought that they were pretty impressive just because no one could have seen them making the playoffs. I know in our other podcast, um, I think me and you were the only ones that actually had the Suns making the playoffs in general. But to be a two seed and to go all the way to the finals, being just two games shy, I think that's pretty impressive. Um, if it was another matchup, they could have had a better potential. But like we all know, it's all about luck in the matchup. So I think it's still impressive. You know, we've got like a 36, 37-year-old Chris Paul out here who is in peak. He's, if it was a peak Chris Paul, then possibly, but we don't have that. Devin Booker just showed everybody what type of player he can really be. Um, and on top of that, we've seen all these other players, Mikal Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayn, really step up in the big moment. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, am I allowed to disagree here about the Suns? No, not skinny yet. All right. Well, th this might just be me being a Suns. I don't want to say hater, but I dislike the Phoenix Suns. Um, I well, I do agree that you know them making the finals is impressive. There is the caveat of every team that they played in the playoffs was injured. You know, 
they were down double digits in game game four, I believe, when Anthony Davis went down against the Lakers. Um, I, I would have picked them to beat the Nuggets had the Nuggets been fully healthy. Um, but, you know, there were times in that Clippers series where they were pulling out ugly wins and they were looking shaky. And, you know, them they finally played a healthy team in the finals and they lost. And what I'm, not, I'm not trying to discredit the Suns. I think they're a really good team. But, you know, a lot of things went their way for them to make it as far as they did. And, you know, at some point their luck ran out. But I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're not a good team because they're, they're, they're in here, insane. Here, I have but a counter argument. Okay. Can we see that their luck was impressive? Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you get lucky that many times, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's just us uh, agreeing to disagree. But, yeah, I, I will also say that, you know, Monty Williams really surprised me as well. I know we're talking about the playoffs in, in, as a whole, but, like, during the regular season, he was a great coach. And, you know, him being able to go to the Bucks locker room after a disappointing loss and just kind of, you know, meet with all the players and kind of hype up Giannis and everyone. I thought that was pretty impressive as a man and as a coach. Overall, this playoff season was definitely great, though. Yeah, now we just go to the, the off season. So I think we went, ran a little a little long, but we want to thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, you know, you can check us out on YouTube, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And, yeah, that's really all we have today. You got anything else to add? Nope. Just uh, make sure y'all hit the subscribe button and follow us on our podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, email us. Any hot takes, let us know. We'll feature it in an episode. So with that being said, peace out, guys, and we'll catch you guys in the next season. Maybe we'll do some off-season takes as well, especially with the NBA draft coming up. But with that being said, take it easy, guys.